Shortly after the death of his father, Nephi sits down to write the things of his heart. What he records is 2 Nephi 4, the great psalm of Nephi. This wonderful piece of scripture is filled with power, with Hebraic parallelisms to the Psalms, to Isaiah, and to some of the other great writings in the scriptures. It is the things of his heart, but it also teaches us something about how we handle adversity and how we handle the many forces that affect how we try and approach life and how we attempt to move forward, be more in company with our Father in heaven. Join us today as we look closely at the Psalm of Nephi in 2 Nephi 4 and see if we can plumb the depths a little of all the power that is there. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed do not constitute official pronouncements of the Church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Hinckley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. Let's go ahead and begin uh, today's class. Um, if I can get this untangled. Ah, it's there. Okay. All right. This is a fun one today. Um, I guess they're all fun. But the Psalm of Nephi. Uh, in 2 Nephi 4, I think is one of the great pieces of literature that we have in all the scriptures. It is, uh, it's unique in, in the way that it's done. Uh, but as we take a look at it, we're going to find that there are some patterns and we're going to be able to actually identify some of the scriptures that we think Nephi was drawing on as he wrote his great psalm. And, and there's some hints, I think, this is towards the last part of his life. Um, but I wanted to, to share that, just kind of a reminder. Oh, before we get going here, uh, I, I actually posted this on my Facebook page which I, from C.S. Lewis, which I thought was just incredibly powerful. The humblest among us praise most, while cranks and malcontents praise least. Praise almost seems to be an inner health made audible. Hmm. Is that great? The, if you think about it, the, the humblest praise most. Think about those that are very quick to hand out uh, compliments. Uh, they praise the most. While those that are bitter and angry, they're least likely to praise. In fact, they're more likely to be critical and bitter and attacking. Uh, and that, and I, I wanted to put that up against what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the other thing is, is that a key to taking a look at Psalms uh, any psalms, and, and in this case uh, Nephi, is that 
God works in patterns. God works in uh, consistent ways of understanding that if you understand the pattern, you'll see it in other places in the scriptures. Um, and so one of them, uh, actually kind of weird in all, in all honesty here, for whatever reason, the other middle of last week, I wasn't sleeping very well and I was awake about 4 a.m. And for whatever reason, this I suddenly could see this pattern jump out. And, and as soon as I got to the office, I had to hurry and copy it down before my brain lost it. Um, but it, but it's, it's this pattern right here. And it was a pattern of how, how uh, prophetic pain works. To be a prophet is to hurt. To be a, think about in, in so many cases to be a church leader or to serve in a calling can be painful. It can be joyful, but it can be painful when you watch uh, struggles. And I think to be a prophet especially is to experience pain. And so I realized that there was a pattern and it looked something like this. That when you listen to them right and you listen to them speak, there is oftentimes a, a section of anguish and then the great lament. And out of that will come one of the more quotable things from those prophets. The great lament and then there is a response that comes after. Yeah? So this is a, a pattern that has been bothering me for years. Uh, well, we should fix it today, then. <laughs> no, the scripture says that, that uh, after we're resurrected as a celestial being, we'll have no more tears. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I it didn't at, work for Enoch. I look at the world, and I think about God's perspective watching the world, and I can't imagine yeah. it Absolutely. In fact, hold on to that one and, until we get to Isaiah. Because I, I think that's exactly right. To be God, I, to be God is to hurt. To be God is to love, and if we love, there's pain. Okay. <laughs> well, exactly right. That's true. So, so, so let me give you some from just the scriptures. Well, they haven't been resurrected yet, but man, they're learning. They're learning Godhood. Okay. So, so in this case, we've got Nephi. We're gonna come back to Nephi, but I want you to see the pattern. Because we're going to hear from Nephi, you know, where he's going to go through, I'm encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which doth so easily beset me. And then what is his great lament? Oh, wretched man that I am. He's just like, his, you hear his soul just cry out. Oh, oh. Okay. Now, is there an answer? Sure. Uh, what comes on the other side of that is, Awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. Okay. Uh, uh, well, let's see. That's going to be bad there. No, we do it this way. No. Oh. Awake my soul. No longer droop in sin. Okay. Now, watch the pattern. Okay. Uh, let's say our next one is... Alma. Alma gives us one of these. For three days, well, that's even worse. <laughs> By the time I get this thing adjusted, then I've got to adjust it the other way for the scriptures. 
For three days and three nights I was racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. <laughs> okay? And then, then, so there's the anguish. Here comes the lament. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know, you see, just, ooh, just like, they, it builds and builds and builds, and they're just like, ah! <laughs> and it cries out. Oh, wretched man that I am. Is there a response? Sure. I could remember my pains no more, and oh, what joy and marvelous light I did behold. So there is this buildup, this cry out, and then heaven seems to respond with some kind of comfort. Okay? All right. Now, and you can find more. I just picked out a handful of these. Um, how about Enoch? Does Enoch give us one of these? Oh, yeah. Enoch looked upon their wickedness and misery and wept and all eternity shook. And then the lament. Oh, Lord. You almost get always this. Oh, <laughs> ah. Oh, Lord, wilt thou have compassion upon the earth? You know, I'm watching all of this pain and, and even symbolically hearing the earth groan as well. When will this wickedness be done? Okay, and he's watching the, his, his uh, descendants drowned in the flood and all that. Okay, oh. And then here comes the response. There'll be a day when thou and thy city shall meet them there. We will fall upon their necks and we will kiss each other and it shall be Zion. And he's not comforted till he sees the Savior come and redeem from the flood. And he's not comforted until he sees Zion meeting. And then we get kind of this uh, Jacob and Esau moment, you know, where they fall on each other's necks and kiss one another. It's like this great reconciliation. Okay. And then he's finally comforted. Okay. So, but wait, there's more. <laughs> we have Enoch. We have, wait, we have Joseph Smith, right? Joseph Smith had one of those moments where Liberty Jail, right? How long shall thy hand be stayed and thine ear be penetrated with their cries? You know, all the, you know, and if you read the letter that precedes all of these kind of things, good grief, you know, and he's just talking about how horrible this is and everything. And then comes the lament. What's the lament? Oh, God, where art thou? Where's the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? Okay, it's just, ah! <laughs> okay, now, is there a response to Joseph Smith from heaven, which is what? My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thy adversity shall be but a small moment. Ultimately, you'll triumph over all your foes. Okay. So you get the, the pain, the buildup, the peak, the lament. And heaven answers. Okay? 
And, and you can, you'll be able to see it. As you kind of look through the scriptures, you'll see this as prophets speak. You'll see the buildup. Um, Paul has a, has a great one as well. But, um, I noticed that Jesus follows the pattern. And, he's gonna ha- and it happens twice, and it happens twice during Holy Week. The first one is in uh, the garden where he says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. You know, and you picture him uh, struggling, they're coming out of the Passover meal, and then they come down through the valley of Kidron towards Gethsemane, past all the graves and stuff through the valley, the shadow of death. And he's just getting heavier and heavier as he walks. You know? And then he's going to get into Gethsemane and he just breaks down. His soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And, and what's his lament? What's his cry as the pain builds? Oh, oh, again, right? Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup... Past, I mean, all of his mortality is crying out that says, we, we weren't gambling on this much pain. Oh, oh my gosh. And it's just coming. Is, is there another way? to? Okay, there's not. Nevertheless, I'll, I'll carry this out, but wow. You just hear him crying out. Is there an answer from heaven? What's the answer? Yes, absolutely. Then appears an angel having to comfort him. In other words, he's hurting so much, which is, by the way, should be a lesson to all of us. Sometimes there comes a point, even for the Savior, that you're in so much pain, stop trying to do it yourself, dang it. (laughs) Allow somebody to be there and comfort you. That's how this works. We're to be there for one another. Okay? We, ha- we get to those points where we just can no longer do it ourselves. And that's, Savior's doing that. But we just reach that crescendo. Okay? Now I did, here was the, here was the conundrum, and I want you to kind of think about this for a sec. There is a second one with the Savior within 24 hours. Yes, yes. So they're going to crucify him. He's going through the pain and the and everything that crucifixion was. Okay, in, including uh, again, we think just in that very Roman way of doing it. We have him way up on a hill and stuff like that. That area. No, th- th- there'd be a tree nearby. He'd carry the cross piece. He would be nailed probably just a few feet off the ground, right on the main road, just outside of Jerusalem, where people could walk by, and when they're accusing him of stuff, they're right in his face. He, they're right. So the humiliation, and, and he's probably naked, and he's bleeding. I mean, just all of the stuff that goes through that. And again, um, he's going through all of that pain, and then comes the great lament. Because remember, he tells... As bad as this is going to be, what does he tell the, his disciples during the, the Last Supper? You may, be, you may abandon me, but what? My Father will never abandon me. You guys will leave. My Father won't. 
Here's one the Savior didn't see coming. Sometimes we want to say he knows absolutely every moment, stuff like that. Here's one that the mortal Jesus did not see coming, apparently. You get that feeling, right? Where's the lament? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Father, where did you go? Why have you forsaken me? At least the Apostle John, in the word that he uses for forsaken... He uses a Greek word that at least John believed. And we don't know. There's no way to know. But John believed what, what he wrote. The word that he chooses for forsaken is betrayal. That's the word John chose to use. The Greek word is betrayal. I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. And is that accurate? I don't know. John apparently believed that at least perhaps Jesus believed that something might else might happen. Maybe he would finish it on the cross and then come off and who knows don't know but John is at least writing using a word in the Greek that says wow I feel like I've been abandoned here daddy where'd you go okay that's that was a question though it's not an accusation no it's not it really isn't I mean sometimes we have questions because we don't understand and uh I think Job had questions. Sure. They weren't accusations. No. But at that moment, he has a sense of, I've been abandoned. How come? What's, what's the story? You know, all his life, he's had the father there. Suddenly he doesn't have... That's, that's anguish. That is, I'm alone. This feel, whoa. Okay? Now, guys, this is the one place in, when I, when I look at the prophetic pattern, I don't have a response. Other than it's finished and he dies. Ooh. Wow. Maybe that, maybe that is the response. And maybe the response is after after he passes through the veil and the response is waiting for him on the other side. What we don't have written in scripture though is what the response that happened then. We just have it's finished. And he's over. Okay. The response was what happened just before he said it. Maybe. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. My own opinion is, I don't think he did. I think he died with a question. Is my own sense. So, I don't know. But I just think it's fascinating that we get to that moment. And, again, in Scripture, and, and the thing that I love about these Scriptures is that all of these Gospel writers invite you to come up with your own conclusions. That's the great part. What do you think? What do you feel as you contemplate it? If, again, if you're just reading verses fast to get through a chapter or something like that, you may jump right over some of the dilemmas that are presented that says, what do I think is occurring here? And spend some time and, and inspiration. Yeah. Maybe him dying was the answer. He it, well, right. Yeah. The Might have been. The physical pain was done. And he finally was able, it's finished, I'm feeling my life draining out of me, him. Because remember the, boy, Roman crucifixion, they did it in such a way and set it up in such a way. To, the idea is to get you to linger for days. They don't want you dead in six hours. They want you dead in, day, in three or four days. You know, and we'll, we'll give things to you to help and give you something to stand on a little bit so you don't asphyxiate so you can linger longer. 
Okay, it's different than what we talk about with, you know, after after second Sunday suppers thing. Well, if I was looking for the response in the scriptures, I would probably focus my search after the resurrection. Uh, yeah. The morning of the resurrection. Uh, yes. His conversations with his disciples and with Mary at the table. And when that that is one place that make a perfect case, right? For uh, you know. One thing was done on the cross, but I don't think it was all done until he exercised his power over death and broke those chains. And he was going to have to die in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the answer is that, yeah. I remember teaching a priesthood lesson uh, years way back when I was first off my mission, but J. Reuben Clark Jr. wrote the manual that year, and he, talking about this incident here, he says, I picture in my mind the great, the great God of the universe hiding in some corner of his universe, weeping for his son. I, I, uh, he probably felt some of the same anguish, even though... There is a... Uh, and and I, I, I've read it before, and man, I can't find I've searched for it, and I don't know if it's something that is apocryphal, or if it's um, something that is is in one of the, the writings of the, of the early fathers, they talk about the moment where the angels come inside the tomb and Jesus is lying there and, and he arises and they say, have you accomplished what you were supposed to do? And he says, yes. You know, and then, they, and then he, he comes fully forward. And again, if you ever find that, let me know because I would love to read that account again. But part of it is that they then assist Heavenly Mother out because she can't stand to watch it either. You know, it's like it's so painful. So... You know, I think when he says that it's finished, that he's that is because uh, he knows that his mission has been accomplished. Could easily be, yeah. Somehow we had a, an, an idea what he was feeling right at that moment, and it could easily. That's why I say I, I, I you could go so many different ways with this. I think so. Anyway, so there. So here's the pattern. You, you see the you see the anguish. You see the cry out and you, the lament. And then you see the response, okay? Now, watch what we see in the Psalm of Nephi, because you're going to watch this same buildup. And, and I think it's, it, it, so this sets us up really nicely for this, okay? All right, now I can go ahead and expand this a little bit. I was telling, uh, I was telling Cindy I have a bit of a dilemma here um, I'm using an app that is no longer available <laughs> it's LDS, LDS scriptures and they no longer make this and I have this on this iPad which is getting older <laughs> and I can't get this new version and the LDS uh, our LDS uh, library app is not even close to as robust as this thing is. There's not, but so at some point, my, the rest of my iPad is slowly not working. <laughs> as a, my other apps aren't working as well, but I don't want to give the, this older iPad up because I still have this version, dang it, and I wish they would somehow, anyway. So that, that's, the, that's our challenge. Um, but I want to, I'm, I'm going to hop all the way down here to. Verse 15, 2 Nephi 4. 
And I know I'm skipping over history, but I think we've read, you've been through the Book of Mormon enough that you know this is after we come to the Promised Land. This is after Lehi is giving his patriarchal blessings to his sons. Uh, and, and now we're at that point where uh, Lehi dies. And almost right away, Laman and Lemuel uh, get worse. We have to bat, fight them. And then we're going to have to leave the land of Nephi and head somewhere else. Okay? But we get to this point, And he's going to say, in the middle of my father dies, you know, and all that. And then he's going to say in verse 15. My soul delighteth in the scriptures. My heart pondereth them and writeth them for the learning and profit of my children. Now, I think I've identified at least a couple of scriptures that he was drawing on to, to write this. I'm sure there were others, but he's going to quote some other scriptures in the psalm that gives you some idea of what Nephi's library consisted of and what he was reading and what affected him. Okay, So, as we get started here, because he's going to say, My heart pondereth continually the things that I have seen and heard. And then, and then there's this pivot point. And then, then we'll go back to the, the first one, which is actually Alma 33. But look at verse 17. In 16, he's going to say, My soul delighteth in the things of the Lord. My heart pondereth continually the things I have seen and heard. Nevertheless. Now, there's a, it's like a balance point. There's going to be a series of things on this side. There's going to be a series of things on this side. Here's on this side. My, I, I love pondering what the Lord has done. Nevertheless, look what's on the other side. This ought to be. This ought to sound real familiar to us, right? Notwithstanding the great goodness of God in showing me His great and marvelous work, my heart exclaimeth, and here's the here's the, the outcry, right? Oh, wretched man that I am, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. Now, let me ask, how many times do we do this? On one side we've got, here's the stuff I've I love the Lord and I love everything here and my life is great and I'm wonderful and I'm gratitude. Nevertheless, man, sometimes I really stink. <laughs> sometimes I don't do a very good job on this. Yeah. It might be because every time we sanctify ourselves, the Lord reveals more of himself to us, and we recognize a little bit more of where we're not sanctified. Boy, I think that's true. The more, it's like the more light we get. Think about, I'm going to let light in. And, but the more I light it, the more I see. And sometimes you'll, you'll look at people looking to join the church, and they're doing really well. And then you give them light and knowledge, and they go... Oh, crud, I'm not doing that great. I, I'm going to look around at these other Latter-day Saints. I'm not like them. My kids can't do what they, but their kids can, and they kind of, sometimes they run. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about his experience in the vision and the of life. He, uh, he, is, he is filled with the Spirit so that he can endure the presence of the celestial being. Yes. Training it, right? right, right. And when that Spirit goes away, when he is no longer transfigured, He's left in a tabernacle of clay that is celestial. Yes. And he's going, what the heck happened? I just lost the glory I had. <laughs> this was good. Yeah. This is 
we've got another one of those too in the scriptures, don't we? Moses. Yeah. Wow, this is great, and I'm seeing all these worlds, and this is fantastic. Then the spirit leaves, and he goes, oh, now I know man is nothing. <laughs> woo, woo. And Satan shows up, and he goes, how come you don't glow like he does? <laughs> oh, wow, man. So, so what, but there's this pivot point. In fact, I'm going to, let me do this, because I'd actually included this. It's one of my favorite uh, Quotes from Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Romans. Uh, For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do, but I do the thing I hate to do. <laughs> For I cannot, des- I can desire to do what's right, but I'm not able to do it. For I do not do the good I desire to do, but the evil I do not want, that is what I do. Dang, right? For I delight in the law of God in my inner self. Okay? How many times, like in January, have you said, okay, this is the year I lose 20. <laughs> I'm, I have all the desire in the world to lose weight, and I'm going to start exercising, I'm going to do that. And then about halfway through you go, Too hard. yeah, it was tough. <laughs> I really wanted to do it, but I didn't do the thing I knew I should do. I ended up doing the thing I didn't want to do. Dang it. <laughs> we just hate ourselves because I was supposed to do it and I wasn't able to. Yeah. So with the self-identification here in Romans, it, it looks like he's identifying his soul as I. Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of us, we identify our terrestrial, our celestial existence as I. Yeah. Which, so he's at a higher plane, I think, than I am. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Me too. Okay, so, but, but you just get this feeling uh, so that he's going to say, all right, there are things I really wanted to do, and man, have I seen some great things, so how come I keep doing stupids? <laughs> okay? I think that is probably the most honest self-reflection. Oh, isn't that great? And it's probably the fact that he sees that and expresses it and acknowledges it is where, you know, it's like you finally accept your whatever. Your, yeah. <laughs> your, like, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and I think My name is Joan. Hi, Joan. I'm a sinner. Okay. Uh, yeah, so are we. Yeah, okay. But you can't change until you really come to that. Yeah, point. yeah, you got to allow, allow that light. But that means being okay with the fact that the light is shining, shining on stuff that you really didn't want to. Okay, I gotta own up to this stuff. Okay, and so he's gonna go. Okay, notwithstanding the goodness, I've uh, seen great stuff, and and he's about to outline what he saw. He'll give you some ex- explanations on this. But I'm encompassed about because of the temptations and sin which doth so easily beset me. And 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 think about. I think we've all had these experiences, haven't we? In in eighteen or in nineteen, when I desire to rejoice. Then what? My heart groaneth. Oh, wow. When I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Then he goes, then we're back on the other side of the fulcrum. I groaneth because of my sins. Oh, nevertheless, on the other side of this thing is, oh, I know in whom I trusted. Well, that's cool. So I get this and then I get that. And, and this whole thing is a battle between two sides of these. Okay, so uh, now my God has been my support. He's led me through my afflictions in the wilderness. 
He hath preserved me upon the waters of the deep. Now, before we go there, here's what the, one of the first scriptures that I think he has in front of him. And that is, remember, he's going he's gonna to say, my heart pondereth and I, I, my soul delighteth in the scriptures. And the question is, what scriptures? Okay, let me give you the first one that I think almost certainly he's drawing, drawing upon. What scriptures does he have in front of him? By the way, the brass plates. Okay, and, and, and the brass plates include the writings of who? Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah in just a second. That's our second one. Zenus and Zenoch. Okay, we got those. Any writings of these guys in the scriptures? Why? Yes. I'm glad. I'm glad you asked. Yes, we do. And it's in na, 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 Alma 33. Okay, so let's hop over for just a second to Alma 33. In Alma 33, we get the prayer of Zenos. Uh, now, and, and I put in here, perhaps one of those sources of inspiration for the Psalm of Nephi. Why? Look at, look at what he starts with. For he said, this is Zenos speaking, Thou art merciful, O God, thou hast heard my prayer, even when I was in the wilderness. Thou wast merciful when I prayed concerning those who were mine enemies, and thou didst turn, the, and thou didst turn them to me. He begins to talk about wilderness, and he talks about enemies, uh, and then and then the whole outline of Zenos is just gorgeous. You know, uh, when I was in my closet, thou heard me; uh, I cried to thee, thou hear me. Nine, thou hast been merciful in my cries in the midst of the congregations. Uh, now, think this would have jumped out at Nephi just a little. Ten. Thou hast heard me when I have been cast out and despised by, night, by mine enemies. Thou hast heard my cries and was angry with mine enemies. Nephi's upset at himself is that he is what? Angry at his enemies. That anger seems to be that sin which easily doth beset him. I've tried not to be angry often at Laman and Lemuel, but dang it, they're driving me nuts. Yeah, and in this case, he's going to say, the Lord, thou, Lord, was angry with mine enemies. But, okay. Um, and thou didst visit them in thine anger, their speedy destruction. Um, by the way, right off the top of your head, because I'm sure you guys do, anybody know how Zenus dies? Oh, you don't know how he dies? <laughs> it's there. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> 17. I said Zenith, it's Zenus. And now, my brethren, this is Alma now talking, ye see that a second prophet of old has testified of the Son of God because the people would, would not understand his words, they stoned him to death. Would that have some resonance with Nephi? where he feels threatened by his enemies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and change that. It's Zenith, how Zenus dies. Okay, so, so here's, here's one of those places that in all likelihood provides some setting. This could have been one of those things that Nephi was reading when he's, gonna, when he's taking a look at um, 
what he's feeling, what he's feeling. This might have been a source of comfort for him. Okay, so I'm, now I'm going to go back to Second Nephi four. Okay. Now, verse twenty. My God has been my support. Now, here's what he's going to start doing. He's actually going to start going down the line with some things that we have read. He's going, to, he's going to go back and say, these are those things. And we know these things because he wrote them. But sometimes he gives us a little bit more insight into the, his experiences. Okay? Um, he hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness. Like what? Like the broken bow. Like the broken bow. Okay? Uh, he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. The things with the brothers, right? He's, he's, he's doing these things, okay? 21. He's filled me with his love even under the consuming of my flesh. I haven't found that one yet. Anybody else find that one? I think he's providing some additional stuff that there was a moment where he's just so filled with this that he felt like his flesh was going to be consumed. Well, he's going to point out what he does. Yeah, that's right. He does, doesn't he? He feels it filling him. Yep. Yeah, and he, that's right. And he, and he's gonna and he and that's where he goes. Verse twenty-two, right? He has confounded mine enemies under the causing them to quake before me. That's that moment, right? So he's. I, I think you're right. I think that makes sense. Um, twenty-three. He heard my cry by day. He's given me knowledge by visions at nighttime. So he's saying. Yes, I've had, uh, I, I cry during the day, and then by night I keep having these visions. Uh, that's kind of cool, right? Can we think of a drive-in movie? Show starts with that. <laughs> you think that's kind of how it works? <laughs> Is that he's trying to go to sleep? I know what happens when I go to sleep and my drive-in movie kicks in, and it, it ain't that. <laughs> <laughs> But that that could make sense. Okay, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll go with the drive-in movie thing. All right. Okay. Um, and then we're going to go to twenty-four. I've waxed bold in mighty prayer. My voice I've sent up on high. Angels came down and ministered. We know these stories, right? Isn't that cool? Okay. 25, upon the wings of his spirit, my body hath been carried away upon exceedingly high mountains, and mine eyes have beheld great things, even too great for man. Uh, I didn't get to write everything I saw. Uh, therefore, I was bidden that I should not write them. Who gets to write them? John does. Okay. Now, 26. Oh, then. Here, now, okay, so I, here, here's one side of the fulcrum. All this kind of stuff. Man, I've seen these great things. I've gotten visions. All these super things have happened. And then, then I go to the other side of that. Now, again, think about how often you may do that. I'm grateful for what I get. And yet I'm still struggling with these things. Okay? All right? Oh, then, other side. If I have seen so great things with the Lord in his condescension under the children of men, hath visited men in so much mercy... Why 
should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions. <sighs> wow. Yeah, you feel it? Okay. All right, now. Now watch where he goes with this. Why should I? Now, can I stop for just a second? Did Joseph Smith write the Book of Mormon? No. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's at moments like this, you're reading this kind of stuff and you go, oh yeah, and we think Joseph Smith was like having some kind of hypnotic vision or maybe he got it from, from uh, Solomon Spaulding or maybe Oliver Cowdery or maybe, you know, Sidney Rigdon snuck up from Kirtland and kind of secretly helped him write, you know, Oh, heck no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even C.S. Lewis at his best is not going to be able to match this stuff. This is amazing. Okay. Um, my soul's lingering in the valley of sorrow. And I think I know where he's going on this one. I'll show you in just a sec. Why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Why should I give way to temptations? Why did I eat that extra donut when I'm trying to diet? Why do they put those pieces of cake in front of me? Uh, that the evil one should have place in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul. Why am I so angry with my brothers? Then here comes, so here's the anguish, right? Here comes the answer. Awake. Sometimes, sometimes that answer is, is a heavenly answer. Sometimes it comes from inside us. It's like the inspiration just fills us for that moment. Okay? Awake, O oh my soul, no longer droop in sin. Awake my heart and give no place to the enemy of my soul. Um, now, here's the, uh, I want to point out the other place that I'm, I think he might have gotten this. The things that he was reading inspirationally that maybe helped set up this whole thing. Okay? Um, it comes in verse 32. <sighs> May the gates of hell be shut continually before me because my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. Okay? Now, I'm going to cover that up because you can see where we're going here. The gates of hell. Ooh. Where, what are the gates of hell? He, he's putting something very specific here. The, and he's going to give you two sets of gates, right? The gates of hell. May they be always locked against me. And the gates of righteousness on the other. Okay. So let me, let me, uh, and then he's going to, then he's going to give us a, kind of a symbol for the atonement in 33. But let me back up a little bit. And I'm going to take you to a couple, couple of the coolest chapters in all the Bible, I think. And guess where they are? They're in Isaiah. <laughs> okay, so, so let me take us backwards. And I'm going to hop over here. If you want to follow me? We're going to go to Isaiah 38. 
Now, it's especially poignant being that we were just in Hezekiah's tunnel, and we're now about to talk about Hezekiah. There's a moment. I'm going to go back to the top of... So, we're, we're uh, a couple of hundred years before Lehi leaves Jerusalem. I think it's about 700, something like that, 750. Look at verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah, the prophet, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So great king Hezekiah, you're going to die. And Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays unto the Lord and says, Remember, O Lord, this verse 3, Remember, I beseech thee, I've walked before thee in truth, I tried to clean out all of this stuff, and I've had it with a perfect heart, and I've done that which is good in, the, in thy sight, and Hezekiah wept sore. I just found out I'm about to die, and it says that he weeps. And then verse 4, then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, you know what, I changed my mind. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father. Ooh, he's going to invoke the kings, right? I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Wow. How many of you would like that one? I've got this diagnosis. I've got that diagnosis. I'm about to die. And he goes, no, let me tack on 15 years. Depends on the quality of those. <laughs> oh, true, right? <laughs> I'm really suffering. Hang around for another 15 years and suffer. <laughs> but I do like his approach in negotiation with the Lord. He's not telling the Lord what he will do if he can get the blessing. He's just simply reminding the Lord of what he has done. Yes. That, but, but listen to what he does now. Because I think this is, this is so amazing. He's going to tell you, though, what he was going through. Here's the, here's the anguish when he found out he was going to die. And for those of us who are getting older, I'll just warn you, this may sound a little familiar. Okay? Ooh. Because he's going to... Uh, verse 9, the writing... And Isaiah just drops this in. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered from his sickness. Okay, when he got the reprieve, the 15 years, and by the way, the sundial goes back just to prove to him, oh, wow, I really am getting 15 more years. You can move the sundial. I guess you can fix me. Okay, I said, this is, this is Hezekiah speaking, verse 10, I said, in the cutting of all my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. We'll come back to that because that's our, that's our key for, for uh, the Psalm of Nephi. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I thought I had more time. I'm deprived of all my later years that I thought I had. I am deprived of the residue of mine years. Um, Eleven. I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 12. Ooh, mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. 
I have cut off, I have cut off like a weaver in my life. As they're busy weaving the, these wonderful rugs and clothes and stuff like that, he says, the Lord came along and just snipped off the bottom of it. And I don't get to see the residue of the rest of the cloth. He will cut me with, with pining sickness even from day to night. Thou will make an end of me. That as a lion, he will break all my bones from day to night. Thou make an end of me. Like a crane or swallow did I chatter. I mourned like a dove. Boy, you get a feeling that he's just really mourning. I, I didn't want to die yet. Now, by the way, we do have a, an idea at the end of this chapter how he got well. You didn't know Isaiah had this kind of cool stuff, did you? Oh, wait, there's more. It's better. Okay, but right at the bottom, just by the way, for, look at 21. For Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it as a plaster over the boil and he shall recover. Wow. So apparently the Lord didn't just extend his life 15 years just because. Isaiah made, made, made a plaster of a lump of figs and it worked. <laughs> How about that? Okay. Remember that next time you think you're really, really sick. Go get the figs. He shall recover. Okay. All right. So, so now let me, let me here's the tie into 2 Nephi 4. And why I think this is, I think this is what uh, Nephi was reading. Verse 10. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. Now, ju just this morning, I went back again to check again, um, Blue Letter Bible, and it lists all the... Hebrew and Greek and stuff like that. And the word, the King James translators wrote this as, I shall go to the gates of the grave. The, the, the Hebrew word here is Sheol. Sheol. And it's hell. I shall go to the gates of hell. And I am deprived of the residue of my years. Sheol for, for the ancient Hebrews is, is, is hell. It's a darkness it's a, it's a dark place. Uh, there are gates at Shoal, and it's guarded. You can't get out. And what he's saying, is, what he's trying to say to the Lord is, I want to continue to praise you, but I can't do a very good job when I'm in hell. <laughs> but he's going to say, um, I shall go to the gates of hell, and I'm deprived of the residue of my years. Now, when, when Nephi is going to talk, I'm going to pop back for just a second here, because I, I want to finish this with Isaiah, because I need you to see this at the backdrop of 2 Nephi 4. And he's going to say, um, verse 32, May the gates of hell, Sheol, be shut down continually before me because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, thou wilt not shut the gates of righteousness before me. I want to be in this place, not that place. And, this, and, 
hell is apparently reserved for those who are not broken heart, contrite spirit. I don't want to be in Sheol. I don't want to be in this dark place. Wilt thou not shut the gates of righteousness, and that I may walk in the path of the low valley, and I may be strict in the plain road. Well, that's interesting, right? Well, let me give you an idea. We're going back to Isaiah for just a second. How are we doing so far? We swimming? Good stuff? I think this is great stuff. All right. All right. I want to go to maybe my favorite chapter in all of Isaiah. And you'd think it was Isaiah 53. Well, Isaiah 53 is pretty darn good. Maybe this is 1, one and 1a. One I don't know. Look at, look at 40. If he was reading 38, he was probably reading 40. Verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That applies to John, but some other places. Make straight in the desert a highway for the God. In, in the desert, you want a straight road. You don't want to be wandering around. Okay? Four, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, if we go to, I'm going to hop all the way down here. I w and and uh, if you ever read it, want to read a beautiful description of this, get a hold of uh, Michael Wilcox talking about this particular chapter. He does a really good job, Wilcox does. Talking about God. Talking, and, and this is to Hezekiah, right? So who is this God that he, that he is able to grant him 15 more years and all that? Now, then he's going to go. Yes, 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his... But look at 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Okay. Can, can we say that differently? Who can take the oceans and put it in his hand? And hold the oceans in his hand. Hold that for just a second. Oh, there's the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic. There it is. It's right there. Then he's going to go, And meted out the heaven with a span. The span is like from the fingertips to the elbow. That, that's a span. So, hopefully you can hear this on the recording. Is that what it is? That's right, that's right. So, so it's here. So I've got, think about what he's talking about. I've got a span. Here's the heavens. Here's the oceans. Okay? This is God, and he can do this. Then he's going to say, uh, and, measure, and com comprehended the dust of the earth within a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales. So I'm going to take all it, I'm going to put it right here, okay, and the hills in the balance. So I've got the mountains, and i got the hills, and we're just measuring them. We know how much they weigh. And we've got them right here on the scales. And I, as God, I can see those. i got the heavens, i got the oceans, I've got the mountains, i got the hills. Okay, can you see it? Okay. Then he's going to say, 
15. The nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Okay? He taketh the isles of the sea. Oh, I've got all the isles of the sea. And, and, and that was generally those places that weren't Israel. The isles of the sea might be Greece. They might be Turkey. They might be the isles of the sea is not Israel. <laughs> all those countries. They're out here. He says, I, I can just measure them. Um, and 16, if you took all the cedars of Lebanon, all the trees of Lebanon, and you burned them all, uh, nor the beasts aren't sufficient for a burnt offering. You can't, it's so great. There's no way you could have a burnt offering with all the animals that are out there. All the nations before him are nothing. 21. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not be told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the, the world who I am? And then, then you get this, this image. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Now, we've got, if you, if you think about one way of looking at this, a variety of ways of looking at but think about some of the, um, the uh, pictures that we have from spacecraft as they're, as they're circling the earth. They're coming around here, and they just see kind of the, the edge of the earth. And, and you see the curve of the earth and the blue. Can you see it? Okay. Then he says, He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof. Okay? So, it's almost like he goes, I'm going to sit like this. He go. And he's sitting on the circle of the earth. And he's got the mountains. And he's got the hills. Okay? Wow. Look at, look at all this. Okay? This is God. This is who he is. This is what I can do. Okay? And, and the inhabitants thereof are what? Okay? So he's seeing all of this, and it's all... So it's, I'm, I'm God, and you see the greatness of who I am, and kind of the, the smallness of who you are, uh, and that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent. So I've got all of this in front of me, and I can just take the heavens and lay it out as a curtain. Okay? You get this, get this view of this God that he's talking about? Okay. Um, anyway, and then he's going to finish this with, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, neither, there is no searching for his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that hath no might, he increases strength. Even the youths, shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fail. And then he's going to finish with the verse that you do know, right? Oh, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. This is the God we worship. By the way, this is the God that you can like drop to your knees every morning and pray to him. <laughs> this, is, this is him that's holding the mountains. And, isn't that cool? It's magnificent. Okay? So you, you get this sense. So 
So if now we're going to hop back over finally. So comments on any of that? I, mean, I realize I'm rolling through a lot here, but response? I know, a bit stupefying, huh? Just let that... Yes, we're getting crickets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay. So he's been reading all of that, and then he's going to finally say. So I think that's, I think that's in his rearview mirror. I think that's because because then we're going to get all of the Isaiah that's coming. I think he's so inspired by Isaiah that it just speaks to him. This great God that we just talked about. Oh Lord. 33, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? Th th think about how often when the Savior was talking about, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to do what? Gather you. As a chicken gather its hands, right? the hand gathers chickens, right? I want to encircle you about. That encircling is a good way of describing the atonement. It's the kafar, it's the covering. I, I want to I protect you. Okay, this great God that can do all these things we just talked about. Wilt thou make him away from mine escape and my enemies? I've trusted in thee. I will trust in thee. I will not put my f trust in an arm of flesh. I knoweth that cursed is he that does this. Okay. And then he finishes with, Behold, my voice shall forever ascend unto thee, my rock, and my everlasting God. Okay? All right. That's Second Nephi 4. Okay, so again, response to all that. What are you, what are you hearing in all this? Yeah. Well, from the experiences in my life, it seems like we all, we all have this high and then we have this terrible low and hopefully come back to a high and a better place. Right. With wisdom and compassion for others. And it's in that kind of the, the, the side, of, side effect, maybe almost the main effect, that we go through a hard time, then we come up on the other side. And I've, I've always tried to talk to my clients that have, have had some kind of trauma in their life, and I talk about how they have, I think God gives them some compensating spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. compensatory power, if you will, to understand where, where they're going through. So I, I think it just happens. Okay? It's almost like the Lord, our, it's almost like our, uh, our uh, trials hollow out a little place that the Lord can then pour compassion into and then we have it to hand out to others when they, when they struggle. Okay? Alright. Any other? Yeah. 34, you know, it's like this is someone who has all this wisdom because they have endured these things. And they follow the gospel plan, even when it was hard. Yeah. And they have this wisdom that as I have trusted in me and I will trust in thee forever. In other words, I know that this works. I know this is true. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as she's bringing up that she's trusted in and she, and she will trust I, I go back to 19, the, the end of 19, he says, I know in whom I have trusted. Yeah. And, and I think that's a key that so many miss. They don't know the personality of God. 
and here we are trying to follow all the rules and, and perfect ourselves and stuff like that. And, and it's such a blessing. The more you know about God's personality. Oh, isn't that true? The more, it, the easier it is for you to, to uh, understand and trust Him. Think how many people struggle because they don't understand His, his nature. God would never do that. Or I, I would expect a God. Or, you know, without completely understanding why He's doing what He's doing, sometimes it looks a little hollow. With a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of knowledge. They always say, doesn't matter what you're learning, just a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Okay, I always love those that have studied a little bit of psychology and then they're going to come and tell me about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> After 40 years, wow, that's interesting. Okay. So it seems too that for Nephi, knowing that God loved his children yeah. is a prerequisite to a revelatory experience. He said, oh, that's not a sense of God. Yes. I know that he loves his children, but I don't know the meaning of all things. Yeah. And then he's going to expand on it, isn't he? In verse 26. He says, if, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men, and here's what he's really kind of learned at the end of this. While he's watching the life of the Savior and everything play out, he's going to say, in his condescension, I know that he does what? He visited men in so much mercy. He, what he, at the end of that, one of the characteristics he doesn't completely, he didn't maybe completely understand, because sometimes that Old Testament Jehovah could be a little on the hard side, right? You go, wow, he is so incredibly merciful when he watches him going around and healing people and he's putting up with it and he doesn't murmur and stuff like that. He go, he is incredible. So one of the characteristics that he absolutely knows after all of his visions is that this is an incredibly merciful God. Far more than I had any understanding. Okay. So the, the, the hard God is the temporal God. It's not, it's not the spiritual God. Yep. Everybody who has problems with God being angry or harsh or anything like that, they're looking at what he did to temporal things that don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of looking at what he does. But at the moment that I don't understand, I, I have a hard time, those blur. I'm not able to see it because I don't understand his purposes. Because you're in a yeah, because yeah, that's all as far as my brain can go. It's like when we talk about eternity and we go, whoa, what does that look like? <laughs> well, our, our temporal brains can't handle the idea of eternity. That's almost scary. Which is, I uh, mean, points out that he can't understand. No. Because it's a different. Yes, it's, it, yeah. I'm not, I'm not there yet. So, ah. Uh, so, okay, there's probably plenty for today. Heads full? Okay. I just think, like I was mentioning before, when uh, my, uh, my old mentor, uh, Jonathan Shinari at BYU, uh, who grew up in a kibbutz, and he knew just about every, we would challenge him sometimes on words. You know, he'd say, this word only shows up three times in the Bible. We go, oh, really? Where? First Kings 10 and Psalms 21 and, and he would just but when he got to this one he went wow that is and that's when he wrote it out in Hebrew for us he says you just need to know that this is so Hebraic and that Joseph and based on this one alone he said Joseph Smith was a prophet Joseph Smith could not have come up with this on his own because it's so deeply rooted in Old Testament uh, psalmic writings.
So. Was he a member of the church? Nope, he wasn't. He's Jewish, and he, and he left Jewish. But he believed always that Joseph Smith was a prophet. <laughs> um, it's one of the reasons why Hugh Nibley brought him in. Hugh Nibley loved the work that Shinari was doing. So, ah, brothers and sisters, I, I bury my testimony that that you will find. And again, it's one of those pleas that I make: don't read the Book of Mormon too fast. Slow down. If you if in your reading you don't get past the first few verses of a chapter. That's awesome because the Book of Mormon is always deeper than you think it is. And it's more rooted in, in a lot of other things, especially for a prophet that had the brass plates in front of him and had this kind of knowledge. So uh, I bear you my testimony that this is inspired and uh, I love the prophet Nephi for who he is. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can I get a closing prayer? Yeah, thanks, President. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks for the opportunity.